She is the light. Well, good morning. Welcome uh, again to our worship service this morning. Uh, I just want to make one comment because I know uh, we are humans and therefore if somebody tells us to do something, we may not always want to do it. But in an effort to try to provide better pastoral care, that doesn't just mean mic care, that means as a church to better try to care for you, we have created these little connect cards that all you have to do is rip out and drop in the box, either during the offering or at the end of the service. You've got your choice. There's a fancy red box in the back that you can drop it in. Please, if you don't want us to know your name or your email address and your phone number and your address, that's okay. But we would love to know that you are here with us because I do and the, the elders do and the rest of the staff, we pray for you daily. And we want to know if you haven't been here. And sometimes one of you will grab me right after the service and talk to me the whole time. And therefore, I may not get to see everyone. Well, how can I know who's here if you don't just jot down a quick note saying, I'm here today. So would you do that for me? I know it might be weird and feel like you're back in school taking attendance. And I unapologetically say, yes, we're taking attendance. Not so that we can criticize you and say, you're not in church, but so that we can say, if you're not, we miss you. I've seen numerous people today that I haven't seen in a few weeks. And you know what? I'm excited to see you after church. So nobody gets to talk to me for more than one minute so I can see all of you. Okay? But please take the time, humor Mike, and fill that out for us. I would be very grateful. If this is your first time with us, I'd love to know you're here. And I would love to meet you and welcome you, as would everyone else in our church. Today... We are moving on in our series, Living in the Red. And I love the title of this series because for us, especially in a culture like Hong Kong that is so financially minded, living in the red connotes a negative interpretation. Does it not? It means, oh no, we're not living in the black, we're in debt. And you see, we are all in debt. If we are in Christ, we're in debt to Christ for what he's done for us. He set us free from our sin. If we haven't accepted Jesus as our Savior, if we haven't yet met Christ, uh, we're living in debt, living a debt we cannot repay. Some of you may feel like that in other areas of our lives. But today we're going to look all the way back uh, at Jesus' most famous sermon. And it's a, it's a long series of statements and, and stories he told called the Sermon on the Mount. And it was found as rain so amazingly read for us in Matthew chapter 5. And if you've got a, a Bible, most of your Bibles will give it a little subheading called Salt and Light. They might change it up a little bit, but right there in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, usually your Bible right above that will say salt and light. I was in third grade when I first started thinking about salt. For those of you in, in other streams here, that would be P4, I think, or year four, roughly. But I was in third grade and my dad came back from seeing his family doctor. Dr. Defenser was her name. What a great name for a doctor, Defense. And I still remember, I never met her because she dealt with adults. But he came back and he told my mom he had some bad news. And this was when heart disease in America was really gaining notoriety in which we've earned because we don't always eat very healthy. And he found out that he had high cholesterol. Some of you may be able to relate to that. And so as a result, some things in the family life had to change. And... My mom loves to cook and is, is a good cook, but she said, okay, from now on, we're doing a few things. And at that point, eggs were considered bad. So we weren't going to have eggs in the house anymore. I think they're good again. So you're allowed to eat eggs, but not the yolk or something. I, I can't keep up. 
But anyway, she also said there will be no more salt in the house. Nothing will have salt. And so there's been times when I've thought the cooking was rather bland. But as I thought about it, I was like, no, it's just we didn't have salt to flavor our food, to help it out. So for the rest of my living in my home under my parents' roofs, we never had salt. There was no salt on anything. 20, 30 years later now, I still don't use salt on anything. But when I was in university, I met this beautiful young lady named Melissa, and she wanted to cook for me. Well, in her house, they hadn't made a commitment to not using salt. And so when she cooked for me, everything had all this flavor, sometimes even on purpose. And it was completely different. And it was like, wow, this is savory. It's quite good. And it was this new flavor that for me, I hadn't had since I was a little kid. Now, to be honest, I couldn't handle it at first. It was too much. And now we've kind of found a healthy balance of that. But you see, we got off of salt and I got very used to bland food as a way of just adjusting to try to keep us healthy. But sometimes in our spiritual lives, in our journeys with Christ, we quit thinking about the flavor of our lives and live not such blessed lives that others may see God in us and rejoice but we live rather bland lives that others look at us and say, oh, I didn't even know they followed Christ. I didn't even know they went to church. I didn't even know they would call themselves a Christian because there's no salt. Our lives have become bland. And that's what Jesus was talking about today. When he looks at the scripture, or when he gives these words, he starts very clearly. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And salt was by far the most important preservative used in Middle Eastern times. It was, if you're in a tropical climate and you don't have electricity or a refrigerator, how are you going to keep food fresh and from spoiling? You had to use salt, copious amounts of salt. In fact, to us, we may not even be able to handle it because it would have been so salty. So the, the people listening to this message would have dramatically and right away associated with it. They would have understood, okay, salt has flavor. Maybe today we need to say, okay, if you've grown up in Hong Kong, instead of using you are the salt of the earth, maybe we could associate that with you are the exosauce of the earth or you are the chili sauce of the earth. That's my favorite. Or whichever seasoning we add, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be salty again? It's no longer good for anything. It's useless. Then he went on to say, just to make sure we get the metaphor, he adds another one. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. What's the point of a life if it's hidden? Well, if you light a lamp and it's, it's fire-based, which they were then, again, no electricity, and you cover it, what happens to a covered light? Not only is it not able to be seen, but what would happen to the flame? It'll go out. It's snuffed out. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In other words, you and me that call ourselves Christians, that are associated with Jesus Christ, that have believed on him and been adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God, we are called unequivocally 
to live in a way that adds flavor and light to this world around us. So today we're going to look at, well, how does that happen? What does that look like for us in this world we live in? Because as we live in, as we look around, if you go to bed at night, you don't think about Hong Kong and think, my, how dark it is. In fact, Hong Kong has tremendous light pollution. There is light all the time. However, if you look at somebody's eyes, we can see tremendous darkness. We can see tremendous, if, if blandness doesn't make sense, you see tremendous mundanity in life. People seem to do the, do the same thing day in and day out, and they seem to be screaming out for more. Or we consider the reality that not too long ago, the government issued a statement saying that roughly 1.4 to 1.7 million people in this city are in poverty. And what are we doing about it? Or we think about the tremendous need of orphans right here in Hong Kong that aren't adopted because they're not good enough. They're not genetically perfect in some way. And so no one wants to adopt them. So they live in orphanages and they just need a home. And these are just two examples. But in the, in the situation we find ourselves, we're not so different from what we call, if you were in discipleship or Sunday school classes growing up, the Bible times. There was much darkness. There was much routine that got us away from relationship. And Jesus is speaking directly to that by saying, you are the salt of the world, the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so what do we do with that? How do we move from knowing that we're supposed to be salt of the earth to understanding what it all means? Well, the first thing is we have to understand reality. Our world is in decay. Okay, there we go. Our world is in decay. And you might wonder, well, Mike, no, I'm being renewed day by night, day as, as Christ strengthens me and grows. Well, yes, absolutely. But think about for a second your physical body, okay? Just think for a moment if you've crossed beyond age 25. Because up to that point, it doesn't always seem before 25 that anything you've done to your body has long-term effects, Around 25 to 30, you start getting out of bed realizing that whatever you did the day before has an effect. Does it not? For instance, you may have decided to go on a hike for the first time since you were 20. And that first hike, you decide not to go very far. You say, I'm going to hike seven kilometers. But you haven't really done any exercise before then. (laughs) How do you feel the next day? You feel sore. Or the reality is, all around us, we see decay. We think about our world, our society. Remember, when the the Cold War ended, when the Berlin Wall fell, when the Soviet Union fell, everything was going to get better, correct? The oppressive forces of the world were no more. And therefore, we would live in great harmony. If we need an example closer to home, when Chairman Mao made his long march and began to institute a new society for all of China, there was going to be no more poverty, correct? There was going to be no more need, right? And everyone was going to be happy in this new system called communism. Well, have either of those things proven to be true? No. There is still strife. 
there is still political dissent. There are still wars being fought. You go back at the turn of the century, at the turn of the 19th century. So when you went from the 1800s to the 1900s, it was the great enlightenment. Everything was great. Advances were being made day by day. It was exciting. And there was so much hope in the world that people predicted there would be peace across the earth by the mid-1900s, that everybody was fixing every problem and there would be no more problems and no more needs. There would be no hunger on earth, no more poverty, no more problems of any sort, essentially. Unfortunately, while technology has advanced things, we have clearly before us the ability to wipe out world hungry, hunger if we chose to. Has it happened? No. The world continues to be in decay. So what's Jesus saying? Well, look back to the words of Solomon. Evidence of decay is all around us. And Ecclesiastes can be a a discouragingly hopeful book. But Solomon looked around and he was struggling with life. And this is what he says. Man's fate is like that of the animals. He's, He's suffering from thinking that this is all there is. And he moves on to realize there is hope. But the same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Sadly, many people have stopped there with Solomon and just said that last bit time and again. All come from dust, and to dust all return. In our physical bodies, that is true. But they forget to read the rest of what Solomon has to say, that it, God does have a plan, that there is hope. And instead, we get caught up in this fact that our world is in decay. And sometimes Christians can approach this and say, well, the world's falling apart, so the best thing to do is for us to hide in our little Christian circles and hope it doesn't affect us. Right? We do see that from time to time. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying, don't do. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were notorious for doing this. They lived up in their golden palaces, not really, but they lived up and they isolated themselves. If anyone was below them, they kept them at a distance. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't hide it. Be a light that can be seen. Be flavor in a bland, unpreserved world because the inference is made that our world is falling apart well how do i know that go back to the very beginning of your bibles in genesis we read a wonderful creation account followed by a horribly disturbing account of man for the first time choosing that they knew better than god From that point on, from the moment sin, the choice that we don't need God, the choice that our ways are better than his ways, from the moment that choice was made, death, sickness, decay entered our world. And ever since, it has been resulting all around us. It's resulted in broken relationships. It's resulted in broken bodies. It's resulted ultimately in a broken relationship with the Lord that could only be fixed through one person the perfect son of God, Jesus Christ. But the decay has another effect. We realize that our world needs flavor and light, but there are pollutants and darkness that inhibit our ability to be salt and light. If I were to ask you, should we, the church, be salt and light? Most of us would probably say, absolutely. We are supposed to be salt and light. But when we think about it, 
We come to this first. Well, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. That's a harsh statement. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. In both of these statements, we come face to face with the reality that we might lose our flavor. We might not be the light we're supposed to be. Now, am I saying you can lose your salvation? No, that's not what I mean at all. And frankly, the true salt of the world is perfectly pure and cannot lose his saltiness. And we'll get to that in a moment because absolutely pure sodium chloride. Does anybody remember the, the chemical equation for that? N-A, N-A-C-L, good. You listened in high school. Sodium chloride in pure form will never lose its flavor, ever. It's pretty amazing. However, if you go to the Middle East, if you go there, pollutants got into the ground and polluted the salt. Therefore, the salt wasn't pure. And it could, in fact, lose its saltiness. It wouldn't have that same pure punch. If you've ever, we used salt water this morning, right? If you've ever just grabbed a handful of salt and put it in your mouth, what's it taste like? However, if you grab just a little bit of salt, just a pinch and you put it on a nice piece of steak, ah, tastes a lot better, doesn't it? If it's pure salt. But the world around us has infected us to believe some of the lies it tells. And we as the church have given in to some of the decay, not just in our physical bodies. We can't help the fact we can live as healthily as we can But there's another issue. There's an issue that we've given into some of the lies of the world, that this world is ultimately about me. And what do I mean by that? I mean very very realistically that we in the church struggle with sins that we're afraid to discuss, that we're afraid to talk about, that we're afraid to acknowledge, that we're afraid to ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and help us deal with. And those infect and inhibit our ability then to be salt and light to others. What do I mean? Well, I I mean in this room with your smart tone, with your computer, some of you may be looking at things on the internet that you know you have no business looking at. For others of us, it means that we are engaging in relationships that you know aren't healthy, they're not beneficial, they're destructive, or at worst, they could cause the end of your marriage and your family, yet you're risking those anyway. For others, as it's tax season, you've decided to fudge some numbers to make it a little easier to make sure you don't have to pay too much money to the government because they have plenty anyway. For others, you've decided you don't like how things are done, so rather than deal with it uh, in a mature fashion, you've chosen to gossip, to slander, to accuse, to pout, to complain or grumble. And you've allowed these, these effects to darken your heart. For others, you've just chosen to give in and say, much like Solomon did, life is meaningless, I give up. I'm not going to try to help others because... They don't help me. And when we make statements like that, when we have attitudes like that, it does, in fact, allow those pollutants to infect our ability to be salt in this world. It affects our ability to shine like a bright light. In Hong Kong, if you walk into Central at 8 p.m. and you turn on a flashlight, will anyone even know the flashlight's on? No. If you come out to Sai Kung and you turn on a flashlight, 
Maybe. But the pollution around us, we've allowed in the church to infect us to such a degree that has hampered our ability to be light and to be salt. So what do we do with that? Well, we have to move on and we have to understand who, in fact, gives us our flavor and our light. You see, true flavor, true light isn't from us. But the problem is we in this life continue to try to make our own light. We try to do things on our own. And it's called moralism, folks. There's a big difference between making right decisions that are based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is a redemptive, grace-filled life, versus just being or just doing the right thing because we have to. That's moralism. And that's a big danger in the church because the minute we take away Christ, we're doing it in our own strength and we will fail. There's plenty of good people in the world doing their best that have not met Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. There is only one true salt, true flavor. There is only one true light and it's not us. Look at what Christ tells us. When Jesus spoke again to the people, and and this is in John 8, obviously John, one of his major themes, as we remember from a couple years ago, is light, that Jesus is the true light. And so he highlights that Jesus says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. When we moved to Hong Kong, we were invited somewhere, and I don't remember where, but we were given a choice. We either had to bring a sweet or a savory. I was so confused. I'm an American. I knew sweet. Yeah, I know sweet. But savory was a completely foreign concept to me. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know it was a common thing. What is savory? It's, it's a food with a different type of flavor. It's a food that makes you want to savor the flavor, right? And it's often a saltier, not going to see what I did there, didn't you? In the same way, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we want to savor him. What Christ is teaching here is you look at the words used, we are to savor him, the true salt of the earth. We are to savor his light. We are to embrace that light and let him shine through us. You see, we're not going to add a whole lot of value to this life on our own. I'm sorry to be pessimistic in that, but there are 7 billion people on this earth roughly, right? Give or take. There's a lot of people. And it's kind, of in, it's kind of intimidating to think, well, how am I going to be salt and light in a world where I'm just one person? I can't even figure out the math of that. Well, you can't on your own. But when we engage in a relationship with Jesus Christ that invites us to reflect his light, to add salt to the world around us, it changes the responsibility from just doing good works to being the people God has called us to be and living the way Christ lived as salt in this world and as light. What it does is it means we are empowered to live as true salt. In fact, there's a sense in which salt must dissolve. Did you know that if, if you stir up salt, when I was a kid and I had a sore throat, what did my mom tell me to do? We didn't have Pepacoa, so we had to use salt water. 
And so I had to get a little bit of warm water and mix it with way too much salt water. And then I had to gargle it. But you didn't, it wasn't ready until the salt had dissolved. And then it was ready and provided tremendous healing effect. I still don't know how it worked, but it did. And I still use it today, salt water. It's amazing. In the same way, as we embrace relationship with Jesus through spending time in his word, through prayer, through practicing the spiritual disciplines, through engaging in authentic community and sacrificial living one with another, as you'll see in the back of your bulletins, as we engage in worship of God through how we live our lives, we'll begin to notice that he dissolves in us in that we lessen and he becomes more. We're not just bland water anymore. Instead, we're salt water. But what we have to do is we have to be careful as we look at this idea of salt water because what happens if too much salt gets in your body? What happens to you? What happens to your body? Yeah, you you get bloated, right? Unfortunately, in the church, we have gotten a habit of holding too much light and salt inwardly in our own body and the church has gotten kind of bloated and we've forgotten about the world around us that the true light is not from us we felt like maybe we've got to hold all the light right here (laughs) and we've missed that he says give it away i got plenty we've looked around at the world and say yeah there's a lot of needs out there let's hang out in here it's safer and we've forgotten that people long to have a life that is full, a life that has meaning, and we've got it. And we've become bland. We've become comfortable. We've become dimly lit because the pollutants have gotten in and we've forgotten that the true source of light is not ourselves. It is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So how do we respond to that? Well, it's pretty simple if you ask me. One, we are on display. And we don't always like that. Just like as some of you may think, I don't want Mike taking attendance because then he'll know when I'm not here. Well, I do my best to know when you're not here anyway uh, because I, I do want to care for you. However, in the same way, we often don't like this idea that people are watching us, do we? A famous basketball player, Charles Barkley, was compared at one point to Michael Jordan. And and people were complaining about some of his actions. And he famously said one sentence that caused all sorts of people to be up in arms. He famously said, I am not a role model. And everybody's like, well, you're getting paid millions and millions of dollars and people are loving to watch you play a game. You, whether you like it or not, are in fact a role model. In the same way, whether we like to admit it or not, When we say we are a Christian, people do look at us differently. And you know what? That's a good thing. That is a very good thing to know that this world, our very lives, give us the opportunity to point others to the Father. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. And what? Praise you for how great you are? No! That's the difference between moralism and knowing Christ. Because when we are in Christ, our very actions don't point to us. Don't point to how great we are. You are wonderful people and I love you. But you're not all that great when compared with Christ. Save the fact that those who've accepted him and enjoy a relationship with him are redeemed by the blood and you are righteous in him. That is awesome. But our good deeds should point people to our Father. 
We didn't run that English camp over the holidays. You all didn't give up three days of your holiday vacation for the sake of doing good deeds so people could look at you and say, well done. No, we did it because we wanted the students that are a part of our community right here to know Jesus Christ and the power of his love. And they, we wanted to point to the love of the Father. We don't do actions so that we can get the glory. We don't give money away so that people think, oh, AIC was a generous church. I want to commend you for the amount of money we were able to give to help with those deeply affected by the, uh, uh, the super typhoon in the Philippines. Wonderful. But I'm not going to sit around and tell everybody exactly who gave what. No, I'm going to praise the Lord that he has brought a body of believers together in such a way that we could use our gifts and our resources to help in a time of need. It's all about God. God laid it on your hearts to give and we were able to help using the resources God has given us. Praise the Lord, not praise you. You just did what you're supposed to. You just obeyed. When there's a need, what do we do? We help out those in need, right? That's biblical. And so how do we respond? Well, we understand that our lives are being watched. And I know that can be a scary thing. But it's the difference between thinking our lives are about us and understanding our lives are about so much more. They're about the person of Jesus Christ working in our lives to point us to the Heavenly Father. You see the difference? If we think that our lives are all about us, we think a few things. One, we begin to believe that we've got to make sure we pad our retirement accounts. We've got to make sure we have all the latest things right now. We've got to make sure that we have the best status right now. But then as we look to the words of Jesus, he who is the true light and says, reflect my light. It's interesting because he tells us that we should be last, not first. Well, that's kind of an odd statement. I want to be first. I want people to like me. I want people to know how awesome I am. I'm not. Second, we also hear that Jesus says, take care of the widows, the poor, the orphans, the least of these. But if we take care of them, we might not have enough to go eat at that really expensive restaurant that I've heard is amazing. Well, in the eternal scheme of things, which is more important? Taking care of widows, orphans, and the least of these, or eating that really good foie gras? Now, I don't even understand what foie gras is, and I'm sure it's delicious, and I'm not saying don't eat it. But sometimes we've skewed our very priorities. We've said, I want to fill this belly when there is a world in great hunger that needs the flavor of Jesus Christ. And yet we forget to tell them because we've gotten comfortable. I have no problem with you eating great food. In fact, I encourage it. Hong Kong has some of the best food in the world but I don't want us to be a church that gets so caught up in ourselves that we forget about the world around us in need. I want us asking daily, how can we look around and help someone in need? How can I be salt to a coworker? If I go to your workplaces, you hear me ask this from time to time, and I ask people without your knowledge, what's it like to work with Mike? What would they say? Would they say, wow, that person is full of joy, full of life, full of love, and I want to be around them? Or will they say, you know what? They're kind of really hard to work with. They're always complaining. They're always frustrated, and they're always caught up in their own thing. 
Sadly, at times, some of us end up in that second category. If we have experienced the true salt that has so flavored our lives, I love having dinner with some of you when you taste something really good because what do you do? If your wife is next to you and you're a guy, you cut off a little piece and give it to your wife and say, you got to try this, right? Yes, thank you. At least one of you shares food. But sometimes, unfortunately, we do. There's a joke in my house because um, my kids always want to take my food. And I don't support that. And so over the years, I've told them, Daddy doesn't share food. It's true. They all know it. I don't share my food. But sadly, many of us have taken that approach with our relationship with Christ. Mike doesn't share Christ. Mike doesn't think it's all that important to make sure his friends that don't know Jesus know about the true light of the world. Somebody else will do it. I'm too busy. I don't have time. What if I mess up? What if I'm not good enough? Well, you're not. That's what the love of Christ is for. The very blood of Christ that washed us and made us clean. He promises that when you speak, the Holy Spirit will guide you and empower you. When we say to the lost, you can't do good on your own, it can confuse them, doesn't it? What we want to say is that we want to invite them to a relationship in Jesus Christ that transforms them, is the song we sing, from the inside out, from the very source, from Jesus Christ. We want to be more like Christ, like God's son, Jesus. Do we stand in awe of him? When we think about this, when we think about the light of God through Jesus Christ that shines upon this whole world, are we in awe of that? I worked at a camp where I got to take my wife to this summer called Beulah Beach Camp. And while at Beulah Beach, during the nights, there was nothing around. I mean, you are out in the country and you are right over one of the great lakes of America called a great lake, Lake Erie. And you look up in the stars, and I don't know how many there are. But you look up, you can't count them. It doesn't know, it doesn't matter how long. And then if you watch for just a brief second, you'll see that amazing phenomenon called a shooting star. It's not actually a star, it's a fragment of something. But it, it's just like, wow, I could never have done that. Yet our God tells us, I'm the one that knows every star by name. I put them there. Do we stop and stand in awe of that? The fact that right now, while we know our sun is fading away, according to scientists, that the true sun will never dim, that should get us excited. That should transform how we live our lives because His light is eternal. His flavor is the greatest flavor in all the world. And we should savor Him. But instead, we can get caught up and our deeds aren't shown by others. So if that darkness has crept into our lives and distracted us, what do we do with it? If the darkness has come in such a way that has distracted us, one, from being light in the world, and two, begin to infect us, how do we break the bond of sin that is keeping us from being salt? Well, Obviously, the first step is repentance. Psalm 51 challenges us to ask the Lord to search our hearts. 
Are we willing to do that? We talked about discipleship classes and community groups a little bit ago. Are we willing to, as we study the scriptures, as we look to God's word, are we willing to invite other people into our lives to hold us accountable, to say, how are you doing in your spiritual life? Are we willing to have people walk alongside us and say, what's God been teaching you in your time with him? How are you being light to those around you in need? How are you being light in your workplace, in your family, in your relationships? And do we invite people, whether it be through community group, through an accountability partner, but do we invite people to walk that journey with us, to challenge us? And do we invite the Holy Spirit to convict us? You know, as I was praying last night, I was challenged that sometimes I get so busy in my life that I don't stop and ask the Lord to search my heart. But when I do, it's amazing because at first, looking at the reality of ways where I've dropped the ball, where I haven't been loving, where I have been angry and I shouldn't have been, where I have acted in ways that weren't glorifying to God or loving to man, it's hard to look at that. But the freedom that comes from repentance and forgiveness that then allows me to love because he first loved me, then challenges me to want to give that away because I don't deserve another chance. I don't deserve to be forgiven. But instead, Jesus calls me to be light in a world and it makes me want to tell everybody. It makes me want to say, I've been forgiven. I've been saved. I've been set free. I still have made mistakes. But yet, I've got the love of a Savior that says, my blood has been spilled out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. I am redeeming you. I, who knew no sin, became sin for you so that you might have life and have it to the full. Do we invite others into that? There's a picture that I want to show you. And when, when you look at it, some of you might know what it is. But there's a phenomenon in the world called the Northern Lights, Aurorus Borealis, or Aurora Borealis. Have any of you ever seen that? A few of you. Some have seen the pictures. When you see it, though, most of you tell everybody, right? If you got a picture of it, what are you doing? That picture's going on Facebook. That picture's going everywhere. You are telling the world that you finally got to see these, the Northern Lights. Because they don't happen often, and when they do, they are magnificent. And we can explain it all away, saying it is nothing more than a chemical reaction in the skies above, or exactly, it's particles of dust. But when I see the northern lights, I can't help. I only have seen them in pictures. But I want to tell others, there is a light greater than the northern lights. There is a light greater than our sun. There is a flavor greater than the best food you have ever had. And he is Jesus Christ. And he commands us to live as he has lived. Which means while we are on earth, we are supposed to make ourselves servants to others. We are supposed to stop defending ourselves and start looking out for the needy, the poor, the least of these. We are supposed to carry his name into all the world and make disciples of all nations. At great expense to us but at great glory of the Father. Our lives are supposed to shift from it's all about me. What do I get out of church? What do I get out of the faith? What do I get out of Christianity? To it's all about him. Lord, pour me out as a drink offering for you. 
So as we conclude today, I pray that we would do two things. We would ask the Lord to search our hearts. If darkness, if sin has crept in, if bitterness, if anger, if dissent, if discouragement have crept in, ask the Lord to set us free through forgiveness, through the grace that only comes from the Father, through the Son, Jesus Christ. And then we ask the Lord to open our eyes and let us see the world around us. And let us be light in our workplace. And let us be light in our home. And let us be light wherever he may take us. And then third, as Isaiah said, I would love if we said, Lord, here I am, send me. As we're told in Acts chapter 2, the church got together and shared everything they had so that no one was in need. May we get together, be of one accord, following Jesus Christ together, going where he tells us, loving one another and loving the world around us so that in the end they see the salt and light in us and rejoice and say, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've invited us to be salt and light, but that you are the true salt and light. Please don't let us think that it's about us. Please don't let us think that somehow we can do it on our own. But instead, Lord, search our hearts. Purify us. May the only salt in us be pure and holy and righteous. May the light that comes out of us point people to you, that they may glorify the Father because of how we love and how we interact with our world around us because you have saved us, because you first loved us. In your name I pray, amen.